Okay, it's Chris again from the Easy Podcast. And on this podcast, we have Phil Blows from Accrue.io. So without further ado, I'm going to get him to introduce himself, tell us how he got into crypto, and also a little bit more about his company. And we're going to delve deep into DeFi this week. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Um, so my, my background, I'm Phil. I live in just outside Guildford in the UK. Started a company in, um, in my office, um, which then turned into a, over 10 months, uh, actually went public via a SPAC. And on route, we raised 11 million. So it was quite quite a journey. We did all that in 10 months, it's, uh, which was quite crazy, given that it was COVID and I've got two young kids running around coming into the office and me and my wife trying to keep them under control. So uh, that was all good. Um, in terms of my background, kind of 17 years in tech and, um, and traditional finance, but caught the crypto bug around about 2017. You know, like a lot of people, I was kind of in that first wave, or the last wave. And, uh, and then kind of lost interest a bit until DeFi really started taking off. And I think decentralized finance, the ability to kind of lend and, and borrow crypto and all of these crazy new financial products that are popping up in the, in the space, you know, it was, uh, it was a great, um, great opportunity, really, really fit my kind of investment style. And, uh, yeah, so we, we founded a crew uh, based on that. I mean, the, the, the premise was that, yes, you could earn high interest on crypto, but it's incredibly difficult to do so for the, the everyday investor. So we built an app that just made it very, very simple to deposit kind of just, just three assets, which is you know, US dollar pegged stable coins, uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin. And uh, we would go out to market, find the best um, DeFi solutions and act as kind of a filter layer between them. And you know, the, I think the thing that's allowed us to, to do well more recently is we're 100% transparent with what the underlying investments look like and who the underlying counterparties are that we're lending to which uh, I think when you're seeing things in the, in the DeFi yield space and some, you know, as we're talking now in June, um, Celsius is looking very rocky. BlockFi's had a tough time. Voyager Digital, 3AC, all these companies have got in a lot of trouble from being very untransparent about what they invest in and getting to very liquid products, which isn't something that we do. So um, that's, uh, that's how I got into crypto and I'm, I'm involved now. Exciting stuff. So how old are your kids? They're four and 18 months. Oh, amazing ages. Mine are 17 and 13. And uh, nice. Dif- different them. problems. But, um, yes. yes, one's ready to go to uni and move out. Wow. Uh, yeah. It seems a long way away at the moment. I'm just still trying to get him to stay in bed past about 5.30. I imagine you're trying to get him out of bed before 5.30 p.m., I imagine. This is yeah. the opposite problem. That's true, actually, is that. It's an interesting time that we're in. I, I say to people, and obviously I'm sure you've been in, in the same situation, uh, it's never been a better opportunity within crypto and there's never been a better time to develop crypto. And I think, obviously, I've, I'm getting also at the same time, I'm getting a lot of people going, I told you so, crypto's going down and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Question is, is which would you rather do, buy Bitcoin at 67,000 or buy Bitcoin at 20? Yeah, I, I've, I mean, coming from traditional finance, I, I took a very, I take quite a data-driven approach to everything that I've always done. And because that's the only way that kind of gave me, gives me confidence to put money at risk. So, I mean, the kind of stats I've always got in my head when I'm investing in stocks and shares is that, you know, in the last 120 years, the average bear market has seen a kind of peak to trough drawdown of 33%. And then, you know, it's, it's usually retained a reasonable level of that within 18 months. So, you know, when you see those kind of drops, as opposed to being scared, you should be saying, well, this has happened like 20 times in the last 100 years. This is the time to buy. And, um, you know, when I look at crypto, you know, we've had since kind of the first 2008, when you know, first Bitcoin was kind of um, churned out, we've had about like four major, major pullbacks. And I think what I've what, what you see there is on average, you know, Bitcoin's dropping 80 to 90 percent and Ethereum is doing about 90 percent um, is tends to drop more. But more importantly, I think what we find is the average peak to trough is one year. So, um, you know, when you consider that where we're at the moment, we've kind of, we are what, eight months since the high, we're down 70% in Bitcoin. You know, it, it certainly feels from a risk adjusted perspective, like, as you say, it's feels like more value than buying at the, at the top. So I guess that's what I've got my mind on. I'm, I'm probably thinking, you know, if I'm, if I'm honest, the view is that, yeah, what, what does an 80% decline look like? It looks like 
Bitcoin at 13,000. You know, we're currently sitting around about 19,000. So, you know, it's not, it might not get there. It might be different this time. So, you know, you kind of get in that, that kind of conversation. So. Yeah. It's funny you should yeah. say that because uh, I've kind of factored in that. I think we'll go to 12. So I think it's, it's a case of, um, I mean, a bit like you've been in, investing uh, for many years. And the first question I always ask, and this is what I always tell new traders, uh, is what's your risk? Yeah. It's not how much money you're going to make. What, what's your risk? And if you start thinking that way, then obviously now, obviously if you're DCA and in, dollar cost averaging in, your risk is a lot less. I don't think we're going to turn around until we see a change in the macroeconomic situation with inflation. And I do think until they've got that under control, which I don't think they're controlling it very well, if I'm perfectly honest, mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to see crypto going up. But what I think what we are seeing underneath, which is good, is we're seeing on the top of the iceberg bad news from like free arrows and Celsius, but no one ever really covers the good news. And there's actually more and more what I'm seeing, more and more good news coming out of crypto projects and projects moving forward than, than ever before. Obviously, we're seeing, you know, we've, we're pretty much kneeling there now on a set date for ETH2. Yeah. And I, I'd really want to see that. I really want to see the come out the other end of the tunnel on that one. I think, I think basically it'd be great for, for ETH and, and so on. And I think we're seeing all these other projects move forward. Yes, we're going to see some fail, but that, you know, I just relate back to .com. Yeah, pets.com, you know, things like that. The, the business models that needed to fail, failed, right? And yeah. I think we, ever since the financial crisis, we've got out of the habit of letting bad companies die, I think is sort of the, you know, it's all about bailing them out. And, you know, if we're honest, in 2008, you know, Lehman's went, went out of business, but probably several others should have as well but we rescued them and kicked the can down the road. NatWest and RBS should have gone. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Halifax, Halifax Bank should have gone. Yeah, I mean, you saw Northern Rock. I mean, everyone was sort of tied to that somehow. But, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm of a similar similar view around, you know, interest rates being, being kind of the catalyst or at least inflation being the catalyst. And I think what, what we potentially could see is, We've got a 75 basis point hike coming in the next Fed meeting, which is you know, pretty much priced in, you'd assume. Um, you've then got tech earnings season. So July is going to be this crazy month. And um, you've got tech earnings season, which I think everyone's expecting is going to be bad, but you may find it's even worse than that. And that's kind of the catalyst where, you know, NASDAQ dumps, S&P dumps. That's the catalyst that, that pushes people you know, Bitcoin to those kind of 12,000 levels. And then you know, the Fed doesn't meet again until September time, I don't think. And, um, you know, the, the economy is going to look awful at that point. So it'd be interesting to see if um, by in September, they're, they're a lot more dovish in their stance. And that's kind of the catalyst towards softening their interest rate projections. But who knows? Um, that would make it quite a short, short, sharp recession. You know, it wouldn't, it feels like if they're going to unwind their entire balance sheet, it's going to do, it's going to last a lot longer than that. And it's going to be a lot worse, but yeah, I, it doesn't seem politically viable for, for the fed to unwind that balance sheet and, and, and crater the economy. So they're probably just going to turn on the printing press for the Q1 next year again or something. Um, it's interesting you say that because obviously quite a lot of them also have shares themselves and obviously that'll affect the 401ks. Yeah. I recently saw, um, um, disclosure of Nancy Pileski uh, investing yeah. in Apple, and after two weeks after Apple rocketed, buying a lot, buying a lot of calls. I think wasn't it like long day calls and that's correct. So, yeah. so I'm a lot of tech like, actually, yeah. I'm just like, let's follow Nancy. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think there are there are screens, aren't there, that follow her 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 purchases. I mean, I think was she worth two hundred million dollars or something? I think she's she's done pretty well for herself. She has. She's done. She's done very well. Now delving down into a crew, you mentioned that you're like you're quite open about what you're investing in. Yeah. Um. And I mean, one thing I like about some DeFi DeFi projects is is where there is a an ability for the project to earn money. So how do you earn money? Because <clears throat> obviously, to be sustainable, you you kind of need that situation. Yeah, and I think. 
going back to the previous thing about letting companies fail or protocols fail at this time that you know that they're the ones with no with no sort of underlying commercial model they're the ones that got to die you know the ones that are just based on sort of inflating token prices and you know there's no real underlying value or revenue the kind of the ponzi model which got copy and pasted from Aave to everything a million times you know that those are the models i think we're gonna die and you're absolutely right so i mean in terms of how we make our money you know, we, we for, by acting as the translation layer. So I mean, a good, a good example is our relationship with Maple Finance. So um, Maple Finance is taking you know, traditional lending to institutions and bringing it on chain. And uh, so as opposed to like when you give money to your bank, they lend it to institutions. You have no idea who the bank is lent to. What happens with Maple Finance is you, you, know, you put your money on chain. You see, and, and the loan book is completely disclosed. So like, here are the counterparties, here are the, the durations, the terms, all these sorts of things, the collateral posted, that sort of thing. And it, it basically brings the entire lending process, like, you know, makes it transparent and brings it all on chain. And um, yeah, it's great from an institutional perspective, but from a retail perspective, it's quite difficult. I mean, one, of, one of the problems that we are nowhere near solving on Ethereum is transaction costs. So, you know, if you are an investor with a couple of thousand dollars looking to earn the yields that are available in on Maple, you're going to spend $200 in gas just setting up the transaction. Um, so really what we do is to socialize those gas costs, we sit on top, we take about 15% of the yield. Um, so, you know, if, if we're paying, if we're receiving 10%, we're giving the customer back eight and a half, eight and a half. Um, and, you know, that goes to pay for gas costs, pay for, you know, the the um, the custodial solution that we have, which was a company called Fireblocks and the insurance of the you know, insuring the wallet with Fireblocks and um, and just makes it a really easy solution because, you know, whereas the the DeFi native is will find interacting with Maple very simple. However, you know, with by using by accessing Maple via us, they can also just say, you know what, I've got here's my debit card with 100 pounds. We'll convert it into USDC and then put it onto Maple for them all in all in a couple of steps. So it kind of is linking CDFI, which you know, the CDFI markets had quite a bad reputation because of what's happened recently. But I think that's just because of a lack of transparency with with, with a lot of these big players. But you know, our customers can see who they're lending to and on what terms. I think it's important uh, is transparency, and and I do think it's important that there's an earnings model. I th- I think those two things are critical, really. Yeah, and I think it'll build trust within the DeFi and, and crypto community, you know, wider community. I, I, th- I think basically, if not these other schemes, which repeat to pay Paul the Ponzi's, are just destroying the reputation of crypto. And to be honest, they're actually making it in a sense where the, the regulators are going, "Well, we need to regulate because you know of what's happening." But yeah, yeah, it's a real shame because, like, as you say, there's. It's just about, you know, when you, when you, you know, as the tide's gone out now and you've sort of seen who's been swimming naked type thing, you know, it's, you've seen the bad players really. And, you know, and some of them were the ones that everyone thought were, you know, above board. What's your take on Celsius? I mean, I, I, I've met Alex Machinsky and, you know, he's a really successful driven entrepreneur, you know, and, um, you know, Celsius entered the market and created, you know, yield as yield for retail customers you know it's it's very difficult to cut through to, to the truth of what they've actually been up to do you think he got um, caught out with luna i mean i think i mean they raised so much money um that they probably were taking more you know i say this this is you know it's you can only really comment on the rumors you're hearing which probably isn't fair but i mean i think that yeah. things i mean th- there's definitely been a, it definitely appears to be a mismanagement of liquidity um, which is where they've given their customers access to instant liquidity and they've been getting into investments that are locked for six months to a year, you know, which is kind of basic liquidity management. I mean, it's, you know, re- regardless if they got into investments and stuff that, um, you know, that were too risky or too high risk, but like that kind of, you know, if, if that is the case and they weren't managing that liquidity or they were managing liquidity like that, it's always very difficult to manage liquidity in, in these really extreme markets, but like, it seems like there's weren't doing it at all, which is it kind of smacks of like poor risk management or, or poor just like knowledge of 
these extreme events. You know, anyone who was working in finance in 2008, like knows how extreme market conditions can get. And like, you know, there's, you know, without, you know, that, and I think that sort of, yeah, had that experience maybe didn't shine through and maybe they didn't have, you know, there's, there's been a lot of stories about the quality of the, the risk managers they had in place, which, you know, I, I'm hoping that this is something that they can come back from, you know, by, by stopping withdrawals for a period of time, they're not insolvent and they can come back because you know, as much as they are kind of a competitor and I don't think, you know, I think the, they're, they're part of the space, they're part of the ecosystem and it's part of building confidence in the market. Um, and no one wants to see, investors get hurt so yeah it's um it's just a sad sad story because yeah they had 20 billion dollars at one point i don't know what they're down to now and it's sort of systematic we've seen voyager get get have um, disclosed some some big losses um you know and looks like nexo's got a lot of bad bad press coming out about them which again we hope isn't true yeah so it's just been and you know obviously blockfire's gotten gotten issues as well it's great yeah it, it it kind of validates our model that we've got to be transparent and got to be more transparent. You've got to, got to provide, a, you know, got to make the customers more aware of the risk that they're taking. So it kind of plays into our hands somewhat, but it's at the same time, we, you, know, you don't want to see this happen in the industry. No, it's an interesting one because I think from a point of view, um, a, a lot of them were offering too much as well, you know, too high yields. And obviously everyone's been attracted to really fancy, fancy yields, but, just some of these yields weren't sustainable yeah from a business model point of view and i think i mean we we've always been transparent in how much you know our mining machines are and uh, quite a few people come to us and said you know why are you saying that you can only earn x when they're earning y so to speak and we're like we don't think the 100 percent return within four months is sustain sustainable so we're not going to advertise that and at the moment, obviously, the mining situation is that, that, you know, a lot of the miners are now below the cost of electric. Yeah. So, I mean, we're looking at it from a long-term perspective, and I think, I think this is an education point of view to, to the viewers, so to speak. Uh, crypto needs to be, you need to take a five-year period. Mm -hmm. um, but then, obviously, if, if me or you were looking at a, a unit trust to invest in in the UK, as an example, we wouldn't be looking at, how much money we can make in a month or three months. No, no. And I think that's, that does need to change. I think it's interesting what you say about, because we're, we're in the same boat. When we were offering interest rates, you know, seven, eight percent, people are saying, well, I can get 19, 25 at anchor, you know, and so what, what are you talking about? Which, you know, which, which, which we know how that went. But I think the industry lacks that benchmark. So I'd love to see companies like yourself say, look, this is the, you know, if you're going to do this sustainably, and or a group of companies such as yourself say, look, mining yields, if you're being sustainable, are X. So anything above that, there is something else going on. There's additional risk. And I think we're trying to do something similar to say, look, that you know, open term or like flexible um, deposit rates with you know, these three big counterparties who are the biggest in the market, the most credit worthy, they're currently here. So anything above that, you're taking some sort of directional market risk or they are juicing the returns by lending for longer periods of time than they're giving you, in which case they have that risk of a liquidity mismanagement. So I think um, having those kind of benchmarks, which exist everywhere, you know, there's a you know, central bank rate in, in, in these things, but they're not, I'd love to see that sort of appear in, in, in crypto. But like what you say about the, you know, the time horizons and unit trust investment for traditional finance versus crypto, well, I mean, that I, I'm a massive believer in that. And that's how we're now structuring sort of the, the next phase of our kind of investment or our sort of product, product development, which is, the, I mean, the way I invest in crypto, I have 50% of my investment sitting in high yield um, kind of US dollar pegs crypto assets. I have 25% sitting in trend following systems, which at the moment are 100% in cash. But as markets turn, we'll can take me to up to, you know, up to another 25% or 25% exposure to crypto. Then I just have a long-term 25% of the portfolio sitting in crypto. And, you know, it tends to be Bitcoin, Ethereum, and, you know, a very small allocation to some of the, you know, scaling solutions and other L1s that I think maybe have some, have some, you know, some legs on them. But for me, the average investor 
should have a balanced portfolio and you know, probably doesn't need 100% of their crypto portion of their portfolio in direct crypto exposure because the volatility is too much. So we kind of say, look, do a 50-50 exposure of yield and growth. And you know, if you can have one of these trend-following systems, which the trend-following has been amazing in crypto as a, you know, as a, as a trader yourself, I'm sure you've, you've probably done the work, but like, um, you know, just like a, a monthly trend-following system, you're like looking at a three-month look back. Um, you know, that has that's outperformed. The, if you if you use that on Bitcoin, you've five x your Bitcoin return in three years, um, just by having that trend-following. It would have taken you out about 60,000. 60, you would have been sitting in cash this entire move down. You would have done it two or three times in the last couple of years. It's, it's been a, a phenomenal system because it, 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 it trades like um, trades like cash. So that's actually the next product we're adding to Accrue, which is just a very easy one-click solution to, you know, to have a trend-following system. Um, it's interesting you say that because, obviously, when I first started in, into crypto, which is obviously is, um, only July, June of last year, July, my background's uh, investment banking, writing trading systems and, and, and property and, and software. We have effectively moved some of the software across into the crypto arena, and we have a trend-following system that we, um, we've wrote, and we came out um, in November. Uh, 13th of November is when we came out. Exactly, yeah. When the trend turned, like, oh, yeah, didn't, didn't, didn't hit the top, but got, got you know, big, big pullback. That was it, right? Great, great signal. Yeah, this is it. I mean, even simple, if we take the moving average 50 as an example, if if you're above that, you know, we're positive. If you're below it, then we're potentially looking negative. Obviously, if we take a longer term trend, 200 day moving average, then obviously if we're above it, we're positive and, and negative, uh, obviously below it. So it, it's certainly, if you look at a lot of the algos and obviously just talking about, you know, the, um, the stock markets these days, the stock market is about 80% algos. So if you look at that, you know, a lot of these do relate to the moving averages. You know, end of the day, if you, if you look at the S&P and you follow the nine as an example, the nine moving day average, you will always get a reaction off that. And, and then obviously if you're looking at the 50s and the 20s, you'll always get a reaction off that. So there's certain people that are investing in strut trading. And I think... We're seeing that now, obviously, in Bitcoin, and we're seeing that in, in, in EVE. But I think basically, from a point of view, protecting a retail investor, you should never have, you never should be 100% in. And I think a lot of people were 100% in at the, you know, 67,000. Yeah. And that's kind of what's hurt people. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's everyone's trying to pick the bottom right now. And, you know, trend following system like the one, you kind of describe with you know moving averages or just just like monthly lookbacks, whatever it is, you know, you're gonna miss the you're gonna miss 25% of the recovery, but it's very difficult to pick the bottom. And you're probably, you know, you're probably gonna not pick the top either, but you're gonna hopefully capture 65 to 80% of the move if you're lucky. And that's you know, trying to trying to do more than that, you end up just getting yourself in trouble. The amount of people, you know, obviously like crypto lives on Twitter. And just the amount of people the whole way down who've been saying, this is the bottom, this is the bottom. It's like, it's just opinion. You know, there's not been any kind of, there's no macro sort of improvement. There's been, you know, no kind of technical improvement. I mean, the only time there maybe was, we were hanging around 40,000 on Bitcoin and it kind of peaked to 48 over like a two month period. And I think some, you know, some trend following systems, you know, turned on then, but, you know, there's not really been any reason to buy for quite a while since November. So like, um, I think it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one because yeah. And that's what people need to wait for, wait for the trend to change. Cause it's not up yet as much as we'd love it to be. No, it's, 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 it is an interesting one. So coming back to a crew, what, what, so the next stage is you're going to be putting in a trend following option is is that what we're saying that's the that's, uh, the that's right so i mean we we added um we did just yield before and you know we, we're well known for yield and you know we we only really focus on the top ones but we'll be adding kind of the the major l1 tokens as well um and sort of other scaling sort of proof of stake tokens there you know we we added an exchange um about uh, about a month ago and now we're adding this kind of new section which is around giving customers access to easy sort of 
yeah, easy to use hedge fund strategies essentially, but albeit ones that they can just one click, it's kind of auto auto generates and auto executes for them. So it's not an investment product, but it's a and it's kind of like an algo that they can they can just turn on very easily. It's just one click and you know they're away. Um, so those those are sort of some of the bigger ones. It's just allowing people to build that more portfolio because I think you know, when it was just yield, people were just sitting either in Bitcoin, either in Ethereum, but we're trying to get people to have this portfolio approach. And yeah, and our, our target market has always been the mass affluent kind of crypto amateur, as opposed to the, the, you know, the crypto professional who likes doing this stuff themselves. So very much trying to appeal, you know, try to, trying to tip the, the favor towards the customer. Like the stuff I hate has always been, you know, there's all the, every platform you see in crypto it's kind of flashing charts, it's futures, it's leverage, it's this, I guarantee the number of people who make money is, is in single digit figures as, as in traditional finance. Well, we, we have a saying in trading, don't we? 90% of people lose 90% of the money within 90 days. But yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's it. And it, it, when you add leverage and you add the volatility of crypto, it's probably even faster. So it's, it's, it's just, an, and I think, so what we're trying to do, you know, when, the kind of investors we're wanting to attract are just that they're investors. Who's your ideal them. customer avatar then? Who, who, who is, who are you, you know, well, in I mean, scenario? Even, even with this pullback, crypto has been sort of the best performing asset class for the last 10 years, over the last 10 year period. Mm. And so it's, um, it's the, it's someone who's probably got an ISA. They've got something they've got a lot of investments already. They've maybe got a property portfolio, whatever it is. And they're saying, look, I've got this bond portfolio potentially that's just, just been performing terribly, maybe not so, so much recently. But it, we think that the average portfolio should have a 5%, 10% exposure to crypto in it yeah. um, as right. a diversification of, of assets. And I think we saw, um, I think JP Morgan came out recently saying that they're switching from property to crypto as their kind of default alternative asset, which is a pretty big statement. Um, so, you know, we think that, that, that yeah, every portfolio should have exposure to crypto. And we want to be that, that individual's port of call for that, which is, you know, I don't want flashing charts. Just give me an easy way of buying crypto and earning decent yield on it or an investment product that's going to manage my risk as markets come, you know, fluctuate up and down through an investment product like um, through an investment uh, algorithm like, um, like the trend following system. Um, I think that is, that is the... Um, that's the kind of customer we're after. And hopefully the kind of customer that's going to, going to be coming in as you know, regulation increases in the space, as institutions enter the space, continue, will continue to enter the space, um, you know, which is the, the you know, next two to five year time horizon. I see. So got the trend following coming on board and you've now got the exchange. So pretty much people can come to you and buy some ETH as an example, I'll take it. Yeah, come in, buy ETH, you know, do, you know, deposit fiat or deposit crypto portfolios exchange both um you know one of the things i think we get a lot of credit for is the it's just the, the the speed of our banking rails so um you know you can you can have ethereum you can sell it and then you can transfer your euros or sterling or whatever it is to your bank account and you can do that whole process in under 30 seconds because you know we have kind of you know faster payments or set for instant and you know it's a really nice way of just managing your managing your crypto and investment portfolios i see so you've got an app for this? Got an app. It's in the app store. It's also on Android as well. So, um, you know, we've, we're lucky to have a really good tech team and, you know, small tech team, but they are, they're phenomenal in terms of the output they, they give us. And, um, you know, they were, they were the key hires. I always say, you know, fire me before you fire the tech team. Um, the, uh, they, and, you know, they, we, we built all three in, you know, in parallel from day one. So we've got a web platform, but we've also got the Android and, and, and Apple apps i see so how how long has it been going then how long has the crew been going i mean it was very informally it was going kind of in you know it was a 2020 really throughout 2020 but it wasn't really an established business at that point it was more me managing money for friends and family and things like that just on a very informal basis but then 2021 rolled around that that's when it really kicked off that's when we we raised raised our kind of seed round to begin with about a million dollars from investors um after that, we then hired the team after the seed round and we got approached pretty quickly by a bigger investor group who was looking for exposure in this space and said, look, we have a, we have a listed vehicle. It would give you the credibility as well as a lot more capital to expand the business. 
do you want to essentially be acquired by it? And that's how we then did the SPAC, which, which made us a public company. So we, we now, and part of that public company was interesting because we, it's, it's a DeFi investment vehicle that, that I'm, I, I now run. So accrues essentially a portfolio company, but we have investments in seven, seven other businesses and another wholly owned business in a fully decentralized yield platform called uh, DeFi Yield, which we, um, which we, we, we have on the back burner at the moment, but is, uh, is a nice, um, is a really nice kind of fully decentralized version of what we do at, at Accrue. I take it as the, the, that's on the back burner. Is that because it's the current state of the market? Yeah, I think in, in terms of just straight yield farming and using things like Aave and Compound, the lower risk side of things, yeah, the yields are lower right now. And they're not, the risk adjusted returns are just not great because they are, yeah, you're, if, for the, the low risk strategies in crypto right now. So if you think about it, that's giving you exposure to DAI, USDC and USDT, which you know, is questionably not the most low risk asset. They are yielding if you're kind of staking and borrowing in, the, in them, max 2%, which you can get from traditional finance in, you know, in kind of protected products. So that's why certain elements of DeFi have really changed. And DeFi is now an amazing place to borrow money, you know, because it's like the lowest interest rate you can find anywhere in the world right now. So if you go to a platform like Aave, and you want to borrow USDC, you can do so for 2%. You go to a bank, it's going to be 5 to 10, you know, depending on, on your creditworthiness. So it's, it's no longer the place to deposit, it's the place to borrow. So it's almost what you're finding is the whole world's flipped over and people are borrowing from DeFi and lending into, um, sorry, yeah, borrowing from uh, DeFi and then lending into traditional finance, whereas before they were borrowing from traditional finance and depositing into DeFi. Yeah, it's an interesting one how things have, have changed there, there are still quite a few DeFi, DeFi protocols around that are offering high yields but it, like you say the risk of adjusted return is just not worth taking taking that i think you've got to be really really upfront with the protocol you know if, if you don't know where the yield comes from like explicitly then it's probably coming from you and that's what we're not, we don't see. And I think that's where a lot of protocols are, are going to fall down. And most of them are just, you know, they've got like a base yield of, of 2% that they get from someone like Aave. And then they just give you 10, 15% in their own token, which then just means everyone takes that token and sells it. And it's, it's that same Ponzi model, which you can make money from, you know, it's um, there's a, there's a big, obviously a smart contract risk that you take with these kind of emerging protocols. And that's, that's too high for us at Accrue. But you know, if you're if you're if you're looking for high returns and high risk, then you know a lot of lot we've seen a lot of investors go into them. But those token those tokenomics we know don't work. It just means that that token trends to zero over time because the only incentive is to sell it to turn it back into whatever the base asset is to to re to refarm essentially. It's a flawed model. Yeah, and this is um, this is one of the reasons DeFi has got into trouble. I think. But I think if we're looking at stuff that's got a utility mm -hmm. behind it that's earning, or there's a genuine service, I like sales, and we're open and honest, oh, we're going to charge you for this service. Because at the end of the day, anyone that thinks you can get something for free is... I really, there's a, in terms of that, I think that's where the next phase of DeFi will be. It's like it's bringing real-world yield like on-chain. And um, we're really excited about that because there is um, um, there's another company that we're talking to called Goldfinch. I don't know if you've heard of them, but um, they they sit in quite a quite an interesting niche where they take funds from DeFi, so they they receive stable coins, and they lend them to real world lenders. So lending intermediaries in the real world. So an example might be a Brazilian um, financing like finance company. And this is one of their customers that I was chatting to one of their founders, you know, in Brazil, there's, you know, there's a mo there's a, essentially a mobile phone lender. And if, if the UK and Brazil is anything to go by, people will stop eating before they give up their mobile phone, you know? And so this is the one debt that they're always thinking about. They have very, very low kind of um, 
default rates. But the, the, the kind of the problem that they're solving is in somewhere like Brazil, there's a local, if you're, an, if you're a company looking to, you know, to borrow money, you've got a local bank for loans up to about a million and you've got an international bank for loans of you know, 25 to 50 million and plus. But that middle ground is completely unserved. And that's where Goldfinch is going in. So they are lending to, to these companies at you know, decent yields, so 12 to 20%. Um, and you know, historically, this was hedge fund territory only. And they've just built a DeFi protocol around that. And I think it's a really interesting model because it's, it's emerging market lending with what appear to be very credit worthy institutions who just can't get, you know, because of structural inefficiencies in how banks lend money internationally and locally, you know, that there, there is just this hole that needs to be filled. And I think that that kind of approach where DeFi just being a more efficient way of moving capital around the world has allowed that, that, that niche to be served. And I think that that's a really interesting use case. Is that goldfinch.finance? Um, let me double check. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. That one goldfinch.finance. I think, yeah, there's, there, there are certain things around liquidity that they need to, you know, need to, um, need to sort out, but you know, there's a senior and a junior tranche. So it looks very much like, a, you know, there's a lower and higher risk model, which comes with associated higher and lower returns. And yeah, we, um, we think it's an interesting model because um, it, it shows how the real world of, is, is becoming reliant on DeFi. I, I definitely think this is, you know, it's a, an exciting um, arena. And I think once we get past the Ponzi schemes and we get past the, let's have a token and let's print it until, um, until high heaven, a bit like the, the Fed did actually with uh, the dollar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> until they ran out of ink. Uh, hopefully they won't get any more ink next year. So, because obviously the situation that we're actually in is because of, of us printing too much money. Interestingly, when he was printing that money, he said, oh, we won't have a problem with inflation. Yeah. And look, look where we are now. Now, that's, that's a really good real-world scenario of actually application of DeFi. And, and I think that's those particular projects are the blue sky projects potentially because there's a good use case there. Um, I, I do think DeFi is going to become a force to be reckoned with when it comes to borrowing. And I think it's an interesting scenario that we're in with a chicken and egg scenario, because obviously you've got the banks that, you know, the JP Morgans that are not really invested in crypto. And obviously they're kind of waiting on the sidelines from the point of view of the regulation. But if they don't get involved in this, they're going to get left behind. As yeah. As people adopt these new ways of lending, I mean, look at crowdfunding. Yeah, how big is that industry worth now? Yeah, and it's uh, it's 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 weird with with crowdfunding. It started almost retail, and then actually ended up moving more institutionally as well. Um, but yeah, you're seeing a huge warm up from the large investment banks. So Goldman's went from you know calling the whole thing a scam to this week saying, if Celsius defaults, they're taking the assets. You know they're they're going to be the the you know, they're going to be the ones swooping in on the bankruptcy. And there was a great article about J.P. Morgan where the head of their digital assets business was talking about their their trillion dollar bazooka being where they're any of you know, talking about collateralizing assets and bringing them on chain. And that that's an area that I'm really excited about because I think that again is something that could could really you know, be the next wave of innovation, next wave of, of, of growth in, in digital assets is making unproductive assets more productive. And you know, if I've got a, you know, a Banksy bit of artwork sitting on the wall, you know, it's sitting there, it's fairly unproductive. In theory, I could take that asset and go to JP Morgan and say, look, can you give me some collateral on this asset? But you know, it's, it, it, it probably needs to be worth 50 million for that to be worthwhile for a JP Morgan. And there's probably no one else who's willing to do it. It's not an easy market to, to, to access. Whereas, yeah, this is where NFTs and kind of, I haven't been excited by them yet because they've just been, you know, about profile, you know, million dollar profile pictures. But if you take that same Banksy print and essentially fractionalize it using NFTs and then use those NFTs as collateral and borrow against them, 
all of a sudden you've got a what was a you know obviously a valuable asset but fairly unproductive asset you turn it into a yield you know a yield generating act, um, asset that's also potentially got capital growth in the future if you know banksy prints continue to increase over time and i think that whole idea is is really i think going to be the next big thing i mean i look at it in terms of property purchases like one of the worst well, one, of the, one of the worst investments you make is that 20% down payment that you put on your house in fear. It's great because you've got all this leverage against it and that's where you make your money. But over 20, 30 years, that, that fear element of your down payment's worth nothing. Whereas if it was crypto or if it was gold or an S&P tracker that you put down and borrowed against, say, well, not only have I made the money on the money, you know, not only have I got the capital appreciation on the, on the funds that I borrowed, I've also 10x over 30 years the the down payment. It's a very different return profile, and I think making that whole process easier is something that DeFi can do really well. And I think that again is changing how collateral works is is a, is a fascinating area of, of of digital assets that's that's going to be a big growth driver. Yeah, it's an interesting one you said that because I definitely think um, you know DeFi is going to change the way we potentially and this is talking future wise we buy houses and obviously it's a very traditional format especially in the uk you have to earn six times your wage yeah borrow x amount and then the buying process is completely convoluted i.e with conveyances and sources and land registry delays and so on this could all be implemented in a smart contract a lot of middlemen were uh, knocked out, and obviously, potentially, it could be a process where, and obviously, we haven't seen it yet, openly or publicly, where you get a crypto mortgage. Yeah, watch this space. I think there's a lot of interest out there in crypto mortgages, and if you're uh, one of the early adopters of, of crypto, you want to buy a house, but just put down the value of your um of of your crypto as collateral and then you know you can you can borrow what you need and fear against it the we could we compare it to like tesla which maybe hasn't performed so well recently but some of the early buyers of teslas they also bought the shares and the shares over time paid for the tesla and we think a lot of people have the same view in in crypto that they buy a house using bitcoin and the Bitcoin appreciation pays for the house over five years. Yeah, that's that's sort of the view of a lot of people who like this this idea. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's a, it, I think it's a it's a good market. And coming back to that whole collateral piece, it doesn't need to be Bitcoin and Ethereum as the as the asset. It could just as easily be tokenized gold. Mm. And um, you know, if you're sitting in the Middle East, maybe you've got you know, gold is a more traditional investment for and and, and often a, often a gift that you know is, is given to people, um, but is largely you know, unusable other than a store of hopefully a store of value. Um, so being able to tokenize that and then borrow against it for a crypto mortgage. And then you've got your down payment is, is gold, which hopefully has an inflation hedge, which means you're not, you're not subject to that same loss that you have if you bought it in fear or put, put the down payment in fear. Yeah. Because if you actually think about it, when you're putting the money down on uh, in the fiat currency, like sterling, what is the depreciation of that? So, for instance, it's 25 grand on a 100 grand mortgage. What is the depreciation of that 25 grand that you put down over the 25 years? I mean, it, it, it's, been, it's not been an issue when inflation has been 2%, but when it's 10% as it is now, it's crazy, right? It's worth nothing. I mean, think about um, you're looking at house prices in the UK the last time inflation was was these sorts of levels say 70s where it was probably even higher um yeah it was you know the like house prices quadrupled um which was great to buy but your initial deposit was worth nothing so over the 70s i think you know house prices went up by four times but yeah you're kind of you know you're stuck with um you're stuck with uh with with you know the down payment being worth nothing mm. it's an interesting one We've covered quite a lot in this uh, this podcast today, so we could talk all day about DeFi. I know it's a, it's a very interesting topic. Um, there's a lot going on. It is indeed. So we're coming to the end of the uh, the podcast. 
And I've got a few quick, fast questions to ask. So if you had to start again, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I mean, we've been lucky. Like, it, it, I think I would have just, I just reaffirm a few things. Like, the some of the success of our business is own your own. If you're going to be a tech business, make sure you own it. Don't outsource it. Um, we we had a we had we we had two projects that we worked on. One where we owned the, owned the tech, and one where we outsourced it quite badly. And I think um, you know both got done, but one was done ahead of schedule and under budget. One was behind schedule and over budget. But it, 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 owning tech, less, yeah, if it's a core part of your business at some point, and what a lot of people do, which is good, is to start building it with someone else and then use them to help build up their own talent and expertise internally. So that's one area that, that we, we could have made a mistake in, I think. It's an, um, it's an interesting one you say that. I actually think, I mean, I, I, I think yeah, there's, a, there's a place for outsourcing. There's an absolute yeah. place for outsourcing. We, we uh, outsourced mm. the Philippines for admin and it's been highly successful and we've done it for 15 years. We were pretty early in on and it actually saved the property business when we went through the 2008 recession because obviously our costs were low. Yeah. But Yorkshire Software, on the other hand, obviously with a name like that, software in Yorkshire, we do not outsource tech. Yeah. We absolutely staunchly believe that tech shouldn't be outsourced. Yeah. Um, Especially when you're, when you're developing a product, you know, you can't really give a, you can't give a, a detailed roadmap to an external consultant on day one of, a, of like a startup. Yeah. There's, you, you build something, you get some customer feedback and it all changes. And that's incredibly expensive and painful if you outsourced. Whereas if it's just a team, you just pivot and it's, yeah. So that owning the tech for the most important thing, you know, we'd, we'd say, and, you know, doing something, doing something, you know, don't start a, a business in something you don't enjoy. You know, I, I've, I've always loved finance and investing and trading and all these things. So, you know, this is the perfect business for me. I'm doing, I'm doing what I love every day. Um, but if it was, you know, selling, I don't know, some product I wasn't passionate about you know, doing this, you, you work, you work, it doesn't feel like work, even though working very long hours, you know? So I think it's a case of, You've just got to um, you've got to make sure it's something you really believe in and you're really passionate about. Uh, I, tr- I totally believe. I, t- I truly believe you're right there. Um, it, it's certainly it's certainly been our experience in in what we've done. Yeah. It, you know, you, um, especially when we've obviously set up the mine easy. You know, I was like pigging mud designing the machines because I was just really excited about uh, create, creating them and I was really enjoying what I was doing. Yeah. So I think I think it, it goes without saying that you've you've got a lot more chance of being successful as well. Yeah, because exactly. I, I think I think you're relentless in actually making it successful. So what motivation and uh, quote inspires you? It's a tough one. I mean, I, I I think there is some truth in the you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Um, that that's that's quite an interesting one, because. You know, you if you surround yourself by with successful, creative people, you sort of, you know, revert to the mean of those five of the people around you. Um, so I think, yeah, if you're, if that that is a good, that's probably a good way to look at things. If you know, if you can, and it doesn't have to be in person. You know, and I've always been a big fan of podcasts and and things like that. If you if you're literally sitting in a, a rural, you know, house with no one around you, and you don't spend time with anyone, it's like well. You know, create your inner circle with with you know with resources that are free online. Um, so that that would be my little my little thing is try try and you know, expose yourself to the most amount of brilliance that you can. And um, I've been incredibly fortunate to hire a lot of people who are much more intelligent than I am, um, which helps me raise my my own bar. I, I definitely think it's a great piece of advice. Um... I've I've always said that even when we first started out in the property business, um, I went and sat down with some big, big, big companies that weren't in competition with us in different countries to find out, you know, what made them successful um, in the property uh, property business. Yeah. And in particular, I mean, we're based in Leeds. Obviously, you're, you're based down in London. We looked at the likes of Foxton's mm-hmm. highly successful property business. And we looked at what made them 
highly successful and you know sport with them and we were not we were not competition for them um so they were they were quite uh forthcoming when i i spoke to people so so it's always good to 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 find to find someone that's been there seen it done it so to speak and that is better than you i I definitely truly believe in that so it's it's, if you can find people that are better than you then then that's fantastic yeah definitely so that brings us to the end of the podcast it's been a pleasure where would you like people to go to find out more about what you do um accrue.io aqru.io or um you know just just um approach me on linkedin i try and get back to as many people as i can um are usually pretty good so that's that's the main social media outlet i use so i don't really use anything else um but yeah the website and the socials and obviously go on go on the app download the app on the app store check it out give us feedback we get loads of feedback whether we want it or not um so we um we we value it a lot and we respond to it so we'd love to hear more from people awesome that's great thanks a lot for your time appreciate chris thank you thank you for joining me today and listening to this episode as i've gone on my crypto journey myself over the last couple of years i'm all too aware of the overwhelming amount of information available online when it comes to investing in crypto So thank you for choosing the Easy Crypto Podcast. It means a lot to me. Hopefully what I've shared today will help you on your investing journey, just like it did me. There's no reason why you can't go and make use of what you've learned today straight away. I'm living proof that these secrets and strategies I've shared with you do work. Please, by all means, feel free to share this with someone else you know who could benefit from it. That's the quickest way that we can build a collaborative community where we can share tricks and strategies which can turn our crypto investments into big profits. In the meantime, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss the latest tricks which could transform your crypto future. Every week we'll be covering a different aspect of crypto investment so whether it's NFTs, mining or the metaverse, you really can't afford to miss out. Thanks again for tuning in I'm Christopher Hitchin and this is the Easy Crypto Podcast and I'll see you next time.